Welcome to It Just Makes Sense. A podcast by two easily distracted, higher educated, former lovers. That explores all the unpopular opinions, conspiracy theories, and cult leaders that make you want to scream, It It Just just Makes Sense. sense. I'm Sam Smith. And I'm Jeff Seifert. And this week, I'm covering an ID show. Unusual Suspects. Unusual Suspects. A Mother's Conviction. Oh, did she kill her kids? Well, I guess you'll have to listen and find out, (laughs) won't you? Let me have it. So it's October 13th, 1997 at 4.30 a.m. And Julie Ray Harper races out of her home in Lawrenceville, Illinois, and pounds on the door of her next door neighbor. She's screaming that there's a man in her house and he attacked her and kidnapped her son, Joel. Lies. She kept screaming, please let me in. They took Joel. They kidnapped Joel. They have Joel. Call the police. When the police arrive, Julie tells them a masked man had broken into their home and that her son is missing. She told the (laughs) I wish you guys could see Jeff's face. (laughs) At least she didn't say it was a black guy. She told the police (laughs) all about the masked intruder and asked them to look for him. She didn't know if he or someone else with him had taken Joel out of the house or if he was even still in there. All right, Julie Ray. Here's my thoughts, though. (laughs) If you're not sure, like, they're like, we don't. She kept saying, like, I don't know where they took Joel or if, if someone's still in there. If you think your son's still in the house, wouldn't you go back in? Like, I don't know, man. No, because she fucking did it. So anyways, Spoiler Deputy, alert. <laughs> Deputy York was the first to arrive and goes to the back door and discovers broken glass and blood. In the hall outside of the bedroom, he finds a bloody knife and inside the bedroom, a ghastly discovery. A dead cat. He finds Joel <laughs> on the floor of the bedroom. Ten-year-old Joel Kirkpatrick was bleeding and near death. Wait. He's been- so he wasn't dead. So she could have gone back in. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Julie Ray. He had been stabbed repeatedly over 10 times. A stab through the heart, through his neck, and on his hands and arms as he tried to fight it off. Jesus. That's what I said. I'm like, this poor kid. Fucking 10-year-old. That's like some anger shit right there. Why? Why? Incredibly, Joel was still alive. His body was warm and they felt a pulse. But by the time the paramedics arrived, he had passed. (gasps) It was a horrific crime, and no one could believe it, including his mother, Julie. She was hysterical at some points and then almost catatonic other times. The police were just trying to make sense of the entire thing. They start questioning Julie, and she says she woke up in the dead of night around 4 a.m. to the sound of her son screaming. She got out of her bed to find him, and she thought he was having a bad dream. So she went to his room to try to calm him down. But when she entered the dark room, someone lunged toward her, And at the time, she actually still thought it was, like, Joel having a bad dream and, like, sleepwalking. And she, like, walked in on him. But – and she was so startled. um, Or she also startled the guy that, like, had she had run into to the point where he dropped his knife and he starts, like, attacking her, like, punching and hitting her. She realized it wasn't her son but, like, a stranger. So he tried to, like, punch her. So this is what she's saying. This is what she's saying. He tried to, like, get away from her, like, run out of the house. And she grabs onto his leg and he, like, drags her across the carpet as he's running. And she still tries to, like, hang on to him for dear life, screaming, where's my son? First of all, you know he doesn't have him. So, so like, go back in the room. Right. So she just kept trying to grab him and get a hold of him, but he <laughs> makes it out to the back door of the garage, and that's where when he tries to get out of the back door, he couldn't get it open. So he smashed the glass on the door with his elbow to get out of the house. 
Now he, as he like still runs out of the house, she's still chasing him, and he finally turns around and like punches her so hard in the head that she like collapses to the ground. Now, is there any evidence that she was punched in the head? Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, we'll get to it, right? So she says then she looks up and she's able to see him under a streetlight and see his profile. And that's the profile that she gives the police. She said that he was like young, thin, white. He had a hat on, cargo pants or sweatpants that looked like kind of dark and like thicker, dark colored hair, but not tall and skinny. He could have been like a teenager. Okay. But like. This is what, and this is, I put note in here, and I kind of already said it. It's wild to me that, like, she knew the intruder didn't have her son, that she didn't go back and look for him. Yeah, that's so weird it's to me so that she didn't. weird to me. Why didn't you go back in the house? Like, why would you go running to the neighbor's house screaming for help that someone kidnapped your son when you know he didn't have him? You knew that he was in the house right. still because you chased the guy out. Right. Like, you don't go and look for your son? Like, I get it. It's in the heat of the moment. But I guess. I think she should. I don't know. I know. So this really shook up the town. Lawrenceville is a town of 5,000 people. So the police were not used to murder cases. So now while Julie is in the hospital recovering from her injury, she got fighting off the intruder. Investigators begin to search the house for any leads. They start looking at the town's usual suspects, the known troublemakers. Usual suspects. That's what they said, but I'm like, like in a town of 5,000? Who like are these usual, usual murder suspects? suspects? I think they meant more like troublemakers. So like uh, people, like drug dealers, like people they knew that like. Got it. You know, they were in trouble with the law. Yes. Got it. Because the sheriff is, uh, is on the TV show and he says, we would go where the wild parties are because this seemed like some kids got doped up and drugged up and did it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely smoked because a little Because kids too. are just going out to raves in small town Illinois and getting doped up and killing a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> that sounds completely logical. <laughs> like, seriously? Because murder is a fun time. So after they ruled out all of these, and I quote, bad seed hooligans, <laughs> we're back to square one. Listen. These sheriffs in these like, small towns, <laughs> how do they exist? They're like straight off a comedy show. It's so funny. So they go back to kind of the basics of it. Who would want to kill Joel? Baby daddy. Julie Harbour suggests someone that could have done it. Who? Her ex-husband. Mm, see? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Dun, dun, dun. But like, why? Like, what is the motive? She said that they went through a difficult divorce and a bitter custody battle over Joel. But like, if he wanted custody of Joel, why would he kill kill him? Yeah. Why would he kill her? Why would he kill her? Right. Like, it seems like a bit of a stretch to me. Agreed. And then she says that it could have been that he hired someone to kill his son. Mm, Mm. Again, why would he kill the son? But Julie's ex-husband was miles away from home in bed with his new wife. Sorry, Julie. And he had an alibi. Well, I mean, people are allowed to get remarried. So so investigators start reconsidering everything. It was becoming harder and harder to believe Julie's story. Mm -hmm. There was no forced entry, no trail of blood, no, and the murder weapon belonged to Julie. She hit herself in the head. This bitch. I also wonder, like, why did it take so long for them to look into her? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I would have thought right away that the mother would have been, like, a suspect. Or whatever. Yeah, because I mean, she's the last one to see the kid right. alive. I mean, right. you, I think you would so, try and rule her out off yeah. the jump. But this investigation started to split the town in half. Really? One half believed that she did it, and the other half believed absolutely not. Team, this she did not it. Not have been Julie. 
She had no history of violence or mental illness. This could not have been our Julie. Well, typically people with mental illness don't kill. Yeah, I know. I know. That's just what the show said. ID. Mm. But investigators believe they had enough evidence to prove that Julie did it. They were thinking that it went this way. For reasons known only to Julie Ray Harper, she decided that her son would be better off not growing up in the home of her ex-husband and he would be better off in heaven. So she decided to kill him in cold-blooded, calculated manner. This seems kind of wild. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a stretch to me. All right. I mean, so, it seems wild that someone yeah, would do that, but it right. sounds like a logical, I mean, like if a plausible, there is logical, yeah. it sounds like plausible line yeah. of thought for someone who's killed their kid. Right. Then they believe that she staged the scene because all the signs were there for it. She kept saying over and over again that she had locked her doors that night and there was no signs of forced entry. On top of that, Julie's story of how she fought off the attacker didn't seem to ring true. She said that the masked assailant had jumped onto a bed and then jumped onto her in one quick movement and they had wrestled throughout the house which would mean that if they had a wild attack down this narrow hallway in her home and into the living room, there would have been things yeah, they would have disrupted. Hit the, hit the wall, knock stuff over. But there was not one photo out, like on the wall misplaced. No knickknacks were knocked off the ground. Not one table was overturned. Julie. Nothing was broken. Tisk tisk. Which was a little suspicious. And the so-called intruder didn't even bring his own weapon. It was a steak knife from a butcher block in their kitchen that was used to kill Joel. So he walked in, went to the kitchen, grabbed a knife. She didn't hear him, killed her son. Correct. Got it. There were no signs that a stranger had been in the house. There was no fingerprints, no blood, no footprints, nothing. The first officer even searched the backyard, and there was dew on the ground, like the backyard where the back door yeah, was like would have been broken into. Supposedly, um, there was dew on the ground, and there was nothing disturbed, no footprints, nothing. Hmm. Even the injuries Julie claimed she received seemed minor and self-inflicted. Also, she was able to describe every scratch or mark on her body, like, "Oh yes, this one here. This is from where he grabbed me here, or this cut is from when he." Like, during the fight, he slashed me here. Like So she had a reason for all of right. it. Right. And the police found that to be a little unusual. Like, some people are like, I have, I have no idea how half of these bruises got in my body. Understand, yeah. She said she never saw Joel after the attack, but some of his blood was on her T-shirt. She had three spots. Like, she ran out of the house, so she didn't know that he was dead. But then how did his blood end up on her? Well, that I mean, that could have happened if she did bust in on him, the supposed killer. Yeah. Stabbing him, I guess. Well, she had three spots on her T-shirt that was a Joel's blood, and she couldn't explain how it got there. Investigators just don't think her story is true. Doesn't someone would have gotten into? Someone would have had to have gotten into the house without breaking in, stab Joel for no reason, and leave no blood trail or clue that he had ever been there. And why would they kill Joel for no reason and then let her live? The story just didn't make sense. Yeah, it seems. In her outlandish. own words, right. And her own words were pretty damning. Before they even investigated the crime scene when the cops first got there, the first thing Julie asked was, did they find the knife? Which seems suspicious because according to her, she didn't even know Joel was in there. She thought he had been kidnapped. So this is before she even knew he had been stabbed. How did she know what had been taken or what had happened? Right? Yeah. So every piece of evidence seemed to lead directly to Julie Ray Harper. Prosecutors believe she decided Joel had to die. So one night she took the knife into his room and started stabbing him over the covers. 
Joe wakes up during the attack and tries to fight back the best he can. But Julie overtook him and kept stabbing him. After stabbing Joel to death, Julie arranged the house to look like an intruder had broken. in. First, she placed the bloody knife in the hallway and then next smashed the glass door leading into the garage. To finally make it look good, she gave herself a black eye and smaller injuries. But, like, I just also think, though, if she was going this far to stage an attack in her house, why wouldn't she knock things over or move forward? Like, you and I, wouldn't you Yeah, it does seem a little, like, poorly planned. Yeah. So when Julie realized she was a prime suspect, she was incredulous. There was no way she could have killed her own son. And her friends and family agree. There's just no way that Julie could have done this. But in any event, she's arrested and charged with the murder of Joel. Julie's ex-husband goes on the witness stand during the trial and reveals that Julie didn't even want Joel from the very Mm. beginning. When she learned she was pregnant, she wanted to have an abortion and not keep it. But he kind of pushed her to keep the baby. I also, this part seems like a stretch to me. Like the next part that the prosecution brings forward is to like, this definitely proves that she did it. Okay. They said that the number 13 was an important number throughout the case. Joel was killed on October 13th because Julie had a bizarre fascination with that number. She was born on the 13th. She insisted on being married on the 13th. She gave birth to Joel on the 13th. After, according to lawyers, she ingested something on the 12th to induce labor. And then she killed him on the 13th. And he was 10 years and three months old at the time. And Joel had 13 stab wounds. I That's kind of strange. I guess, but like, I don't know. I don't, I'm just like, I roll with that. But Really? I, That's a lot. I don't know, man. I don't know. That seems a little too coincidental. What could she ingest that would induce That's labor? I know. I don't know. She got some black market drugs? I guess. Huh. So after two weeks of trial, what do you think they found her? Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. She, she was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to 65 years in prison. Prosecutors are certain that they put a killer behind bars. But again, Julie's friends and family do not think so. Okay. They think they put an innocent person behind bars and there is still a killer out there. They need justice and they need it now. Well, what other suspects? Who else would want to kill a 10-year-old kid? Julie keeps saying that Joel was killed by a masked stranger. And if this is true, she was facing a mother's worst nightmare. What? Not only has she lost her own child, but now she had lost her freedom. And she wanted to know, how could this have happened to an innocent person? So this was driving the media into a frenzy, and it caught the attention of none other than... Nancy Grace. The Innocence Project of Illinois. damn. (laughs) They were intrigued, and they believe Julie's claims may be legitimate. Really? So they quickly dig into leads that the original investigators didn't believe were connected. The very next day after the murder of Joel, a witness had gone to the sheriff's department to tell them that they had seen um, that what they had seen at the time. And the sheriff's department was like, sorry, we're super busy working on this murder case. We don't have time to listen to you. Really? Just shoot and him just off. just kind of like shrugged him off. And it was Alan Berkshire. And he was there to tell the police that he was having dinner at a local diner two days before Joel's murder with his wife and 11-year-old son when this, like, scruffy stranger who he says, like, resembles what Julie says is the profile of this guy had walked in. Um, and, of course, the guy says small town. I mean, I'd never seen him before, so he was definitely not from around Lawrenceville. Uh, 
<laughs> okay, sir. Yeah. But the guy said he started to – so this guy, Alan, and his wife were having dinner at the diner, and their son, Rusty, was, like, playing some video games near the table. You know how, like, diners yeah, used to have arcades? Yeah, sure. So this guy went over to his son, Rusty, while he was playing in the arcade um, and asked the – and he went over and asked the kid if he could score some drugs off of him. The kid was 11. <laughs> what? What? And he says to Rusty then, I bet you're a good little boy. And Rusty just like tried to ignore him. But then he put his hand on Rusty's shoulder. And that's when like Alan got up and was like, Okay, dude, what are you doing? And I guess the guy turns to Rusty and said, Maybe you should be afraid of me. Maybe everyone in this town should be afraid of me. Maybe even terrified of me. And then he just like left. Okay, that's bizarre. Right. So this, like, to Alan was like, this was so weird. Yeah. So after the murders, he went to the sheriffs to, like, report this, but they just never listened or followed up on any of it. Right. So the investigators, because they doubted that it was connected at all. And I mean, I don't know if I was an investigator. I don't know if I'd really, I'd just be like, okay, whatever. I think you would still, like, look into it, though. Right. But no one made an attempt to find out who it was or if there was a connection. And then the Innocence Project get another lead from a ticket agent of a bus stop about 40 minutes away from Lawrenceville. A guy matching the description that was broadcasted on the television station was seen at the station around noon the day after the murder of Joel to buy a bus ticket to Winnemucca, Nevada. And what the ticket name. agent had never in her life sold a ticket before to Winnemucca. So she like remembers it because she's like, where the hell is Fuck. that? Yeah. 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 It's a small town in Nevada. And she just thought it was unusual because the guy seemed like super jumpy and urgent about it. And he needed, he made the ticket agent like feel uncomfortable. He gave her some long story about how his mother is ill and he needed to get there immediately to visit her, but he didn't have enough money for the ticket. And the woman said he was just like, so creepy and weird that she just like gave him the ticket to get her to get him away. Really? Yeah. So then, but then she made the connection between the sketch that had been put on the TV and this guy. So she called the police to tell him she's like, I sold a bus ticket to this guy. I know it's the same one. But the investigators took her statement and didn't believe really much about it. So they never looked into it. Huh. So now, Remember how the prosecutors claimed that Julie's injuries were self-inflicted? Yeah. So the Innocence Project claims that the emergency room doctor that treated her that night were certain that they were real. The investigators never talked to the doctor. Okay, what do these people even do? And he said, in his opinion, there was no way these were self-inflicted. I mean... If this I was one of the investigators, I probably would have convicted her right off the like my, okay, my the, very, I know, you, the I know, whole time I know, I know. you were saying it was her. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, I guess I acted just like them. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, like, she had rug burns on her knees from where she was dragged down the carpet, and every single one of the wounds were something that the emergency room doctor said um were not something that someone could have self-inflicted on themselves. Really? Now, the Innocent Project believed that there was no evidence of intrusion into the house because, um, oh, wait, they believed that there was no evidence, oh, yeah, of intrusion into the house because investigators never took any evidence to prove it. They didn't fingerprint the butcher block where the knife was taken. They didn't fingerprint the counter, the kitchen drawers. They didn't even fingerprint Joel's room, which is like- That is strange. That's strange. They didn't even take fibers from Joel's bed sheets, like nothing, like where his blood was. So they basically didn't investigate it at all. Right. And the police officer that claimed that they found dew on the grass on the grass in the backyard with no footprints, there was no dew that morning. It was proven, like with evidence, that there's no way there could have been any dew that morning because of the temperature. Like, weather, yeah, all huh. this stuff. 
So then now the media or the Innocence Project was getting so much media attention with this case that a television show was aired about it, stating how, like, not stating who could have done it, but stating, like, how did this woman get convicted with all of this evidence kind of up against it? Okay. Um, and they didn't name a new suspect. They were just covering the story in a whole. But when this aired, crime writer Diane Fanning saw this episode, saw the interview with the prosecutor, Ed Parkinson, and she knew she was certain that something was wrong. From what he said and what she just what he described of the case, she was convinced that Julie did not commit the crime. Huh. She was about to stumble onto something that would blow the case wide open. Really? What was her name? Diane what? Diane Fanny. Is that did you know that name before no. this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Renowned crime writer. <laughs> Joel's murder was eerily like the same murders that Diane was writing a book about. Really? By serial murder Tommy Lynn Sells on death row in Texas. No shit. Diane Fanning wrote a letter to Tommy Lynn Sells and said, I was just, how crazy is this? I was just watching a show and the prosecutor said that no one breaks into the house for, for no reason to kill a kid and forgets to bring a, a, to bring a knife. But we know that's not true, don't we? <sighs> but like, it's also, I always forget, like a lot of these crime writers that write these true crime books, like get so close with the killers yeah. that like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost conversational between them. So right. like at the time, I'm like, how could she even think to write that? And then I'm like, well, she's probably talked to him. Right. Over and over and over times, and over. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And then Tommy Lynn Sears writes back to her and he, um, okay. So remember, he's on death row at the time and he does not have access to TV. So he could not have really known about the case or much details about it. And he said in his letter, Hmm. Did this murder you're talking about happen to occur a few days before the murder I committed in Springfield, Missouri? Did it maybe happen on the 13th of the month? <gasps> what? That's like, how wild. How known about that? And it it and to Diane, it kind of sounded like he was confessing to it. Yeah. But could it have been true? So Tommy Lynn Sells is a prolific serial killer who spent his time going cross-country murdering people. And he was never suspected in any of his crimes until he was caught in Del Rio, Texas, for a crime he committed on December 31st, 1999. The Del Rio murder was what put him on death row, but it was also the main reason that Diane thinks he could have killed Joel Kirkpatrick. Because in Del Rio, around 4 a.m., he snuck into a mobile home and stabbed two young girls while her parents were asleep in the next room for literally no reason. It was almost like the exact attack on Joel. But okay. in Del Rio, one of the girls survived and was able to identify Tommy Sells. Oh. So the ID leads to his arrest a day later. Following his arrest, in a, in a few short hours, he admits to all of his other homicides. He confesses to murdering dozens of people all over the country, and his claims begin to check out. No shit. They believe that he committed that he killed twenty one people that he could confirm. And the letter, though, that he wrote in one of the letters he wrote to Diane, he says, "There's a lot of people who are sitting in jail for crimes that I've committed." And then he said, in reference to Joel's, "This could just be another one." Wow, that's so crazy, wild. 
And after looking to his other murders, what he'd done to Joel, he had done numerous times before, breaking into residences, using a knife from that residence to commit the crime. And just killing a random person. Like, it's wild. Because they say, like, most serial killers have a favorite MO, right? Like, they like to go after a certain type of victim, use certain weapons every time. But with Tommy Lynn Sells, he would just go after... Whoever. Anything and everyone. He had no pattern, no reason. He would use baseball bats, sometimes a knife, sometimes his own hand, sometimes a gun, whatever he could find in that house. He would go after women, children, men, anything. It did not matter. Wow. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. So when Diane Fanning reports this to the police, they look to see if his timeline could have matched up with when Tommy would have been in Lawrenceville and if he was in the area at that time. Okay. So now this is also when police contact the investigators in Illinois because Diane didn't live in Illinois. So she contacted like the police in her area. Okay. And so they contact the investigators in Illinois and they were like, don't care. We already got, we already know who did it. It's definitely the mother. We got a conviction. We don't care. Wow. So Diane now also tries to contact the investigators on this case, and she said that she was treated with total scorn and not taken seriously. But Diane still has one weapon. What she got? The book she's writing about Tommy Lynn Sells. Like, she hadn't come out with it yet. So she includes Joel's murder in the book. So when the book comes out, it's like a bombshell because this is the first time that Julie's family and Julie herself heard about, even heard about Tommy Lynn Sells. Wow. Could you imagine if you were her family? No. So now the Innocence Project is like, fuck this. Like, we are getting her out. Isn't this crazy? This is crazy. So now the Innocence Project are pushing for a new trial because of this information. Prosecutors believe that Tommy Lynn sells, but... So the prosecutions on this case just believe that Tommy Lynn Sells is starting to confess to crimes that, like, he didn't even Had nothing to do with. He's just drawing out, like, throwing out. Because now that he's out on death row... Anytime he's like, sure, I'll commit to someone if you take me out and like give me this and get me that, like a dinner or this, and they're just uh, giving him whatever he wants hmm. to get time out of his cell. Um, they also think that someone told Sells about the details of the murder, um, and he's pawning it off at his own recollection. They state that Julie herself had her own website before she was like incarcerated throughout her time, like about the case to try to find her son's murderer. And they believe that Tommy Lynn Sells had access to this and used it to claim it as his own crime. But the Innocence Project proved that he had no access to the internet or TV while on Texas death row. And as they continued digging, they would find another key piece of evidence. What was it? Tommy Lynn Sells had got a ticket in St. Louis and was arrested. And the license was taken during, like they took his license during the traffic stop. And because Sells never appeared um, on his court date, the photo on the license uh, they had like the photo because this is like years later, right? Julie had been in jail for quite some time now, but they had the license photo. Um, so cells looks older now, but in the license of the photo taken at the time, it literally looks identical to, to the, the profile that Julie had said they reported. It was like dead on. So investigators show this picture on the license to Alan, the guy in the diner, and he's like. That's he immediately him. recognizes it as him. So that proves that, like, Tommy Lynn Sells was, was there. in the area at yeah. the time. Um, and then, but is it enough to, like, prove that he did it? So It's kind of circumstantial. Right. A lot of. Right. Good, a lot of 
solid circumstantial evidence, we'll say. Right. So the jury um, kind of, into a jury, this answers the question of who would do something like this, though. Like, Julie Ray didn't really have a motive, if you think about it, right? Yeah. And this kind of fits Tommy Lynn Sells to a T. So armed with new evidence, Julie Ray Hopper's defense attorneys go back to court for a new trial, and they get one. Okay. A new, And they now piece together a timeline of the murder. Tommy Lynn Sells sees Julie in Joel's house and decides to strike. There's no other reason for it. It's 4 a.m. He sneaks quietly into the kitchen, picks up a knife, finds Joel in the bedroom, and stabs him. Julie's awakened by the screams. He bangs into Julie in the hallway. She grabs a hold of him and is dragged down the hall. He breaks away from her, gets to the back door where he crashes open the window. Julie grabs onto him again, and he hits her with a rock and gets away. He then goes to a bus station 40 miles away to get a ticket to Winnemucca because guess where Tommy Lynn Sells is from? Winnemucca. Winnemucca. Wow. So now the jury goes back in um, to kind of debate. And what do you think that they found Julie Lynn? Still guilty. Not guilty. They let her out. When they said that, she let out a scream and collapsed to the floor. Despite the not guilty, the prosecutors still believe that she got away with murder. The evidence shows it. They believe the jury got it wrong and that they got it right. So Tommy is still on death row. There's no execution date in place. Julie is fully out and can never be retried for this murder again. However, the Illinois prosecution team have not No, he's dead. Oh, he's dead now? This was a while ago, sorry. April 3rd, 2014. He died? Mm Mm-hmm. That's when he was executed. Mm Mm-hmm. Lethal, well, anyways. lethal injection. So before his death, get this, the Illinois prosecution did not charge Tommy Lim Sells with the murder and of Joel and maintain that Julie Ray Harper is guilty of killing her son. Really? Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So what do you think? Do you think that she did it and that, or do you think that Tommy Lim Sells did it? Because like, I get where prosecutions like all evidence point to, to her. her. Yeah. But they also never got... Why did they not test for fingerprints or DNA? Yeah, that's the wild that's part the to wild me. wild part, because that would have fully solved this case. That they didn't do, like, any investigative work yeah. whatsoever in this case. I don't think case. she did it. Yeah? I just don't think there's any motive for it. Yeah, that does seem a little crazy that there's no motive. I mean, what they said seemed plausible to me about how she just wanted to keep him away from her ex-husband, but... Like, it seems like there's a lot more evidence against Tommy Lynn Sells. That's what I'm saying. Than against her. Yeah. Like, eyewitnesses put him in the right. area. The ticket. Even the ticket the, to one yeah, of them. Yeah, like, yeah. all of that stuff. Right. It does seem to add up. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy that they never charged him. Because when I first started watching. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. When I first started watching, I was like you. I was like, here we go. Yeah. Mother killed the son. Like, this is so straightforward. Where's the twist? And then at the very end, I was like. (gasps) (gasps) Wild. And like, if that woman had not been watching that TV show at that time, Julie would still be in jail. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Wow. Wow. What do you guys think? Do you think it was Tommy Lynn Sells? Do you think it was Julie Ray? Julie Ray. No. What a name. Good one. Good one. I was thinking it was going to be somewhere down south when you said her name at first. I know, right? (laughs) Illinois. I feel like a lot of things happen in Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? Anyway, guys. That's also where um, Johnny Gosh was from. That's that's the only thing. And President Obama. Oh. And Abraham Lincoln, right? 
No. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm so up. smart. You are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let us know what you think. Jump into. Okay. I have to make an apology first and foremost. Because was, you never fucking post the episode? I just did oh. yesterday. I was locked out of our Instagram account because I lost my phone. I could not figure out how to get back in. No, I meant because you never post. You always say that you're going to post oh, the episode ahead that of time. Too. Guys, I'm never. Just ignore me. I mean, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I forget. I have a very. I usually put it in the show notes. Logical. Yeah. Okay, good. Show notes. All right. Anywho, Z just got back into her Instagram account. So leave us a drop us a comment. Drop us a like. I'll be posting in there again. It just makes sense podcast on Instagram. You can go to the Facebook group. It just makes sense Facebook discussion group. Or you can follow me on Instagram at WW Sam and the Buff. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Seif, one F and Jeff. All right, guys. Till next week. Bye. Bye.